Uh, we'll see if the wind gets me again today. We'll be patient here. Um, before we get started, did you hear about that? The family, uh, the four children that were stuck in the Amazon jungle for 40 days. Raise your hand if you heard about that. Not, not many of you. Uh, so there was an airplane crash over the Amazon, and this was what a couple days ago. And this plane crashed. Three adults passed away. There were four kids that survived. They assume they survived because they didn't find them when they went to the plane crash. There was a 13-year-old girl, a 9-year-old, a 4-year-old, and an 11-month-old baby. And so they're looking for these kids. They can't find them. They're in the Amazon jungle, and they're part of this indigenous tribe that they were flying from one place to another, obviously. And after 40 days, they found them, and these all four kids survived. And they lived off of cassava flour, which they were flying from one place to another, cassava flour and fruit. And that's how they survived for 40 days. And I just was thinking, what a good story that you don't hear a lot about of this 13-year-old girl that's taking care of these three little ones uh, from perishing in the Amazon jungle. And the worst thing they had to deal with were mosquito bites, um, some malnutrition, some dehydration. But anyway, I thought it was a cool story. And I thought, man, I wonder if four American kids, 13, 11, 9, and 11 months would survive. And I... So maybe they would, maybe they wouldn't, but I just think those indigenous kids showed a lot of grit and perseverance, um, and I would say divine protection. So, on to the sermon. Last week and the several months before, we've been talking about the Sermon on the Mount, and anytime you go through the Sermon on the Mount, you're going to get to subjects that uh, are a little bit touching for some people, or um, maybe convicting for some people. And last week I ended the message that we were going to continue to study the Matthew 6, 1 through uh, 4 passage. And if you will go with me to Matthew 6, I've got a lot of Bible verses today. Um, but in Matthew 6 it says, beware, this is Jesus preaching, he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them, for then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Thus, when you give to the needy, sound no trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, that they may be praised by others. Truly I say to you that they have received their reward, but when you give to the needy, do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing, so that your giving may be in secret, and your Father who sees in secret will reward you. So last week we talked about the reward system, I guess, in God's kingdom. And Jesus saying beware of practicing your uh, acts of righteousness is what the Jews believed. There were three acts of righteousness that showed the piety of the, of the believer, and it was uh, giving, prayer, and fasting, those three. And so his first subject that he deals with is the idea of almsgiving or giving, giving to the needy. Now, I've been preaching for 10 plus years, and for anybody that's been around that length of time, there's been a few here, uh, but I don't preach on money a whole lot. I don't preach on tithes or givings or offerings very often. I would say maybe a handful of times in 10 plus years have I preached on the subject. And I do that or I don't do that because it seems in my business there's this frustration on our window and say, hey, you got that wrong. I'm just, that is the cynicism that people have when it comes to church and money oftentimes in the world because it has become a business. And when you get to brass tacks of tithes and offerings that are preached at churches, when you get to the brass tacks of it, um, there's, a, there's a few reasons why 
offering or your tithe is is preached on. And um, really, it's you know you have you have staff. One of the things is staff. You have salaries for staff members. You have a, a senior minister. You have an associate minister. You have a children's minister. You have a worship leader. You have a maintenance man. Um, you have a church secretary. Uh, there's bills that you have to pay, utility bills. Uh, sometimes there's a mortgage on a building. Uh, oftentimes money that's given to the church through tithes and offerings goes to mission work out in other parts of the country or other parts of the world or other parts of even our own county. Um, there's building improvements. You know, the, the AC's down, the roof needs repaired, the furnace is broke, the plumbing's bad. Uh, and then there's benevolence. There's the charity towards other people when somebody comes in and says, hey, we need... We need some help financially. And so oftentimes that is where tithes and offerings go. To Those, those are the main, the main areas where money goes. I would say that a majority of the tithes and offerings that get collected go towards pastoral staff. I did a quick little math thing. I have a small business, and so like, well, I can run numbers pretty quickly. And usually, you know, if you're going to have a church of a couple hundred people, you're going to have those six positions in a church, you know, the associate, the senior minister, the, the church secretary, the six, the children's, the worship, the maintenance. You have those positions, and the average cost of having someone full-time would be with benefits around $5,000 or $50,000 um, a year. You break that down into by the week, and it's around fifty-eight dollars to $5,900 a week that the church would need to bring in just to stay in the black of the staff not utilities, not mortgage, and all that. Does this sound like a business meeting? I don't mean it to. Those are some of the facts about why people bring, uh, or why, why churches really preach on tithing a lot. Um, I find it, I just think, you know, for those of you that don't know and have never been here, or only been here a few times, this church building, uh, we have no debt on it. Uh, it was handed to us by another group. Um, they were closing their doors, and so they, they had two groups that they were looking uh, to give this church building, this church building, and then the fellowship hall uh, behind me. Uh, they wanted to give it to a church body, and we were one of two, and uh, one of their concerns was that we were a small enough congregation that they didn't think we'd be able to manage um, a preacher's salary in today's day and age, which is the reason why they were closing, because their preacher had left because they couldn't afford it, and there was about eight people that were part of the congregation. And I said, well, I don't know if it's going to make any difference or not, but nobody here is paid. Our, our preacher, we have two or three, four preachers that preach. Um, our worship minister, we have two of them. Um, our children's minister, you know, we do maintenance. I mean, we kind of in-house everything, so we don't have a need to spend that money uh, every, every month or every two weeks. And that was, I guess, the, the closing factor for them. But I could ramble on for hours about finances. I could talk to you guys about money, about church, about what I see in the world and what I see about other churches do, and I don't think that would be very um, advantageous for us to understand what God actually says in the Bible. It's just my opinion. And so what we're going to do over the next couple of weeks is we're going to talk about what does the Bible say about giving? What does the Bible say about tithes? What does the Bible say about offerings? What does it say about almsgiving? What does it say in the Old Testament versus New Testament? My goal is that we become educated on what this says. Because this is where we should get our doctrine. This is where we should get our belief system. This is where we should get our conviction on who it belongs to, who do we give it to, 
How much do we give? Why do we give? When do we give? Do we give? But in order to get to those questions or get answers to those questions, we've got to go to the basis of the beginning, the foundation of the teachings in the Bible. So this may seem like a Bible class. I don't intend it to. I don't have any stories to tell uh, today. It's going to be more of, I hope you learned something, or this is something new maybe to you. Maybe it's not, but maybe it is. We're going to start off with this Matthew 6 when he says, beware of practicing your righteousness before other people. When he says, when you give to the needy, that acts of righteousness, one of the three acts of righteousness that the Jews considered of a pious Jew was almsgiving, giving to the needy. And so we're going to go much more on that next week, but this idea of almsgiving is simply compassion, mercy, good deeds, or charitable gifts. That's the word that's used there for almsgiving. Um, we're going to talk about that a lot next week, uh, probably a bulk of the, the message, but I wanted you to hear that we're going to talk about it, but in order to understand, I think, what Jesus is saying, we've also got to understand what are tithes and what are offerings, because this is basically the beginning of time, and then it goes through into the Sermon on the Mount, and Jesus says, hey, this is, these are things you're going to do. You're going to give to the needy as my disciples. You're going to pray as my disciples, and you're going to fast as my disciples, the first one giving to the needy. So almsgiving, compassion, mercy, good deeds, or charitable gifts is the word uh, they're used. The second thing that we're going to talk about, we're going to spend on offering and tithes. So offering, that word offering is a present offered up, a sacrifice. This is all in the Hebrew word and the Greek word that you look up the concordance and you find out what the definition of the word is, offering. A present offered up, a sacrifice, a, do, a, a donation, a gift, sacrificial meat offering, something brought near the altar to offer up, to present a tribute. Okay, those are all of the words used for that, that Hebrew word or Greek word of offering. Okay? So, go with me to Leviticus 14. We're going to be in the Old Testament pretty much the entire time after that Matthew 6. Leviticus 14, there is this, this Old Testament law that we find in um, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy that talk about tithes and offerings. This first one we're talking about is offering. Offering and tithe are different. They're not the same, and we're going to see that here in a minute in Malachi chapter 3, but the word tithe and offering, they're two separate things, two different teachings. This one that's dealing with this is just an example of an offering that's mentioned uh, by Moses and God in Leviticus 14. It's this idea that there is someone that has leprosy, and it says he shall be brought to the priest, and the priest shall go out of the camp, and the priest shall look. It's, so it's the equation to what to do when this person has leprosy and they're within the camp of the Israelites. And starting in verse 7, he shall sprinkle the leprosy seven times, and, um, or he should dip them in live bird and blood and the bird that was killed over fresh water, and he shall sprinkle the water seven times on the man who has leprosy to be cleansed of the leprous disease. Then he shall pronounce him clean and shall let the living bird go into the open field, and he who is to be cleansed shall wash his clothes, shave off all his hair, and bathe himself in water, and he shall be clean. And after that, I'm in verse 8, and after that he may come into the camp, but live outside his tent seven days. And on the seventh day he shall shave off all his hair from his head, his beard, and his eyebrows. He shall shave off all his hair, and then he shall wash his clothes and bathe his body in water, and he shall be clean. 
And on the eighth day, he shall take two male lambs without blemish and one ewe lamb, a year old without blemish, and a grain offering of three-tenths of an ephah of fine flour mixed with oil and one log of oil. And the priest who cleanses him shall set the man who is to be cleansed and these things before the Lord at the entrance of the tent of meeting. And the priest shall take one of the male lambs and offer it for a guilt offering. So we're not going to study the leprous man in Leviticus 14, but we are going to recognize that there is an offering given to God for a certain sin. There's, there's several offerings which we're going to talk about. There's, there's five, five main offerings talked about in the book of Leviticus, which we'll go through very quickly a little bit later. But I want to differentiate the difference between an offering and a tithe. This is important. This is very important. Because what people are taught are that you need to bring your tithe into the storehouse. This is the storehouse that they're referring to, and the tithe is your money. The difference between an offering and a tithe, Malachi chapter 3, it's the very last book before the New Testament. It is right before the Years of silence before the prophet John spoke again. And in Matthew chapter 3, starting in verse 6, this is the, this is, we're going to hear the difference between offering and tithe here. For I, the Lord, do not change. Therefore you, O children of Jacob, are not consumed. From the days of your fathers, you have turned aside from my statutes and have not kept them. What statutes is he referring to here? The law. He's referring to the Old Testament law that we see in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. Return to me, and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you say, how shall we return? Will man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. But you say, how have we robbed you? And God says, in your tithes and contributions. Remember, the word offering is tribute, so contributions and offerings, if you're NIV, it probably says, in your tithes and offerings. That's how you are robbing me, in your tithes and contributions. You are cursed with a curse, for you are robbing me, the whole nation of you. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse, that there be me food in my house, and therefore put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts. If I will not open the windows of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. He makes a, a very differentiation between a tithe in an offering. You are robbing me in your tithes, and you're robbing me in your offerings. So, the offerings we'll go over a little bit later, but we want to go over the tithe first. And the reason this is important, and I'm going to go to my conclusion, and I'm going to say it again later on, is I have this weird, I don't know, I don't even know what you call it. I just, I like to look up other churches' websites. I like to look at their websites. I like to look what they teach. I want to see what they say. I want to see their doctrine. That's what I like to do. I'll, you know, instead of watching a stupid movie and I'm preaching a, preparing a sermon, I'll look up a website. And I looked up many, many websites uh, over the last couple of days, and I've done it over the last several years. And you get to the, the, the tab, and you push on the tab, and it comes down and it just says give. And then you click on give, and a verse that is used very, very often in a New Testament Christian church is Malachi 3.10. And this is Malachi 3.10. Bring the full tithe into the storehouse that there be me food in my house and thereby put me to the test, says the Lord of hosts, 
says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the window of heaven for you and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. So the push down button goes to Malachi 3.10. You read it, and a Christian looks at that and goes, oh, I need to bring my whole tithe into the storehouse, my whole tenth into the church building, so that God will open up the floodgates of heaven and bless me. That is what is insinuated in that, and I'm open for argument on that, but when I look at the websites, and that's what is clicked on, and that's what you see, it makes me ask a lot of questions, which we'll get to later. But first, what is a tithe? Ten. Tenth. It's a tenth part. It's to give or take a tenth, to pay or receive tithes, a tenth part. The first time it's ever mentioned is in Genesis. In Genesis 14, Abram rescues Lot, because they separate and they go their different ways. Abram rescues Lot, and he goes to battle. And Abram, Abraham, he wins the war. God wins the war through him. And it says that he gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek. Now, we are going to talk about this next week, I promise. Melchizedek means king of Salem, king of righteousness, without genealogy, without beginning, without end, without mother or father. He is a Jesus picture in my mind. Okay, so we'll talk about that next week. But Melchizedek was given a tenth of everything from the spoils of war from Abraham or Abram. That's the first time it's mentioned in Genesis in the Bible. And then you go forward into Levitical law, and so you have Genesis, and then you have Exodus, and the nation of Israel gets established, which we'll look at too. nation of Israel gets established, and then you have these Levitical laws, these laws that were given to God's people, to the Israelites. In Leviticus, guys, I'm sorry if this is not exciting for you. I'm, I'll try harder, but I start getting into this and looking into it, and I get so jazzed about studying this because it's where I conclude is so much different than what I see in almost every other church body. I'm not condemning anybody. I'm just saying what I read and see and study is different than what I read and, or, and see on websites and teachings out there, and I don't I want to be right. I want to, I want to be right with God and what he's teaching here. That's the whole point of doing this. So in Leviticus 27, starting in verse 30, it says, every tithe of the land. Remember, a tithe is a tenth. They are in an agrarian, agrarian, is it agrarian? Agrarian. They're in an agrarian society, meaning they're, they're, they're not trading in, you know, dollars and cents, there's trading in wheat and barley, it says every tithe of the land, whether of the seed of the land or of the fruit of the trees, it is the Lord's, it is holy to the Lord. If a man wishes to redeem some of his tithe, he shall add a fifth to it. And every tithe, every tenth of herd and flocks, every tenth animal of all that pass under the herdsman's staff shall be holy to the Lord. One shall not differentiate between good and bad, neither shall he make a substitute for it. And if he does substitute for it, then both of it and the substitute shall be holy. It, is, it shall not be redeemed. Go to Deuteronomy, a couple books forward, in Deuteronomy 14. In Deuteronomy 14, we're going to look at this. This basically covers all of the tithes in the Old Testament. In Deuteronomy 14, verse 22, this is a command from God to Moses, to the nation of Israel, he says, you shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year and before the Lord your God in the place that he will choose to make his name dwell there. 
You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock, that you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe, the tenth, then the Lord your God blesses you because the place is too far from you, which the Lord your God chooses to set his name there. Then you shall turn it into money and bind up the money in your hand and go to the place that the Lord God chooses. Spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen, sheep, wine, drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no position or no portion or inheritance within you. And at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tenth of your produce in the same year and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance with you, and the sojourner, the traveler, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands, what you do. Numbers basically says very same thing. A tithe is a tenth of your field, your grain, your wine, your barley, your sheep, your flock. That is what the tithe is made up of. A tenth of every ten sheep that go in front of you, take one out. Take the first one out. Don't differentiate between good and bad. Take the first one, set it aside. We're going to do a hundred barrels, bushels of wheat. Take out the first ten. That's ten percent. A tithe belongs to the Lord. Now, he mentions something about the Levites. Are you tracking with me right now? The tenth, an agrarian society, you got the food, the wine, the, the meat, all the stuff that you have grown and God has provided for you, you're going to take a tenth of that and it's holy to the Lord. But he mentions something about the Levites. Well, who are the Levites? All these questions as you start studying and reading, you, you have to come to the conclusion or the knowledge of what a Levite is. Now, back in Genesis, again, going back to Genesis chapter 35, Jacob, you have Abraham, Isaac and Jacob. Abraham was given a promise by God in Genesis 11, and then Abraham had a son named Isaac, and Isaac had a son named Jacob. Now Jacob, in Genesis 35, guys, this is such fun stuff when you look at history, and the reason this is fun to me is because I like to be right. I do. I like to be right. I don't, if I'm wrong, I want to know why I'm wrong so that I can be right later. I'm okay being wrong now, but I don't want to continue in my ignorance. I don't want to continue in my lack of knowledge. If somebody says, hey, this is wrong what you're teaching, I want to go, why is it wrong? And they'll tell me, and I'll study it, and I'll go, yep, I was wrong. I repent. I apologize. Guess what I'm teaching from now on? I've said it about bunting for years. I taught the same way to bunt for 35 years. A guy comes up to me and says, why do you do that? That's the way I've always done it. He goes, have you ever thought about it this way? And he shows me a new way, and I went, I'll never teach the old way again. And I changed the way I teach the most basic, fundamental thing in baseball because I learned a better way. I learned a more accurate way. So pride is not an issue. It should not be an issue when it comes to us in knowledge of the word. It should be like, this is what the Bible says. This is what I'm going to believe. And let everybody else deal with how they're going to deal with it. But for me and my house, we're going to deal with it according to what the scripture says. So in Genesis 35, 9 through 13, it says, uh, we'll start in verse, yeah, verse 9. Genesis 30, what am I in, 35? 35, 9. God appeared to Jacob again when he came from Padam Aram and blessed him. And God said to Jacob, your name is Jacob. No longer shall your name be called Jacob, but Israel shall be your name. 
So he called his name Israel. And God said to him, I am God Almighty. Be fruitful and multiply. A nation and a company of nations will come from you, and kings shall come from your own body. The land that I, give, that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, I will give to you. And I will give the land to your offspring after you. Then God went up from him in the place where he had spoken with him. And then in verse 23, Genesis 25, 23. Uh, 35, sorry, thank you. Genesis 35, verse 23, it says, Now the sons of Jacob, because remember he says, Be fruitful and multiply, and I'm gonna, you know, kings are going to come from you. In verse 23, beginning of 20, end of 22, Now the sons of Jacob were twelve. The sons of Leah, he had Reuben, Simeon, Levi, Judah, Issachar, and Zebulun. The sons of Rachel, he had Joseph and Benjamin. The sons of Bilhah, he, uh, he had Dan and Naphtali. The sons of Dilpah, he had Gad and Asher. These were the sons of Jacob who were born to him in Padam Aram. So Jacob, also known as Israel, had 12 sons. Did you notice one of those sons was named Levi? So years later, a Levite man married a Levite woman. Jacob's son Levi had offspring, and they married, and they had a little boy, and there was an edict, so the mom wanted to protect her son, so she made a basket, and she put the basket in the water with the boy in it, and his name was Moses. So Moses is floating down the water, and they grab Moses out, Pharaoh's daughter grabs Moses out, he's raised with the Egyptians, and then he leaves the Egyptians, because he killed a man after he saw somebody else kill somebody else, he killed somebody else, and then he's like, i got to get out of here. So he leaves, he's at this well, and he sees this burning bush. He's like, oh man, the bush is on fire, and God speaks to him, and he says, I've got to go release the Israelites, Jacob's sons, from Egypt. So he goes there, and he has this whole thing with Pharaoh, and he's like, I'm not a good speaker, and Aaron says, I'm a good, I'll go with you, Moses. So Aaron speaks, Moses speaks, and they get out of there, and they cross the Red Sea, and they go and they get the Ten Commandments in Exodus chapter 20. And God gives Moses the Ten Commandments for the nation of Israel, Jacob's 12 sons and all of their offspring. Is it making sense so far? I almost put a thing up here because I talk fast and I know I do, but if I put it on something, then we can follow it. But that's what's going on with Moses. So in Exodus 32, remember we're trying to find out why the Levites are special. So in Exodus 32, after they'd gone up on the mountain, after they had gotten the Ten Commandments, after they had gotten all the laws, in Exodus 32, there's the story of the golden calf. Moses is up on the mountain with God, and he has been up there a while, and so the whole nation of Israel is like, what is going on with Moses? Why is he taking so long to get here? We need to worship something. So what do they do? They complain, they get a bunch of gold, they melt the gold, they fashion this golden calf, and they start worshiping and partying and dancing to this golden calf. Well, they hear about it up on the mountain. God gets upset. He comes down, and Moses is furious. He yells at Aaron, what are you doing? He goes, well, they did it, and they did it. Well, if you look back at the story, it was actually Aaron. He was blaming the people, and he lied to Moses about it. The point of the story is this. In verse 25 of chapter 32, this is after the golden calf. He comes down and he melts it and he puts it in the water and he makes him drink it. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose 
for Aaron had let them break loose to the decision of their enemies. Then Moses stood in the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, to the Levites, Thus the Lord, God of Israel, says, Put your sword on your side, each of you. This really happened. This is intense, but this happened. Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The Levites, because they stepped forward and said, God, we are with you, and the other 11 tribes didn't, God says, I'm going to separate you as my people. I am your inheritance. Because you've got to understand, they were given all this land. Each tribe was given a large portion of land to maintain and manage and do agriculture. And this one tribe, the tribe of Levi, did not have land to be used that God had given them. So that's the whole story of the Levites. Go to Numbers chapter 3. This is the job of the Levites. Numbers chapter 3, verses 1 through 10 says, These are the generations of Aaron and Moses at the time when the Lord spoke with Moses on Mount Sinai. These are the names of the sons of Aram, Nadab, Abihu, Eleazar, and Ithamar. These are the names of the sons of Aaron, the appointed priest whom he has ser- uh, ordained to serve as priest, but Nadab and Abihu died. Okay. So verse 5, And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Bring the tribe of Levi near and set them before Aaron the priest that they may minister to him. They shall keep guard over him and over the whole congregation. This was the job of the Levites. They shall guard all the furnishings of the tent, verse 8, of meeting, and keep guard over the people of Israel as they minister at the tabernacle. And you shall give the Levites to Aaron and his sons. They are wholly given to him from among the people of Israel. And you shall appoint Aaron and his sons, and they shall guard their priesthood But if any outsider comes near, he shall be put to death. And the Lord spoke to Moses, saying, Behold, I have taken the Levites from among the people of Israel instead of every firstborn who opens the womb among the people of Israel. The Levites shall be mine. This is what God chose to do. He had the 12 tribes, 11 tribes, pagan worship, the golden calf. We don't know if the Levites did or not. I don't believe it says so, but they did come before when God says, Who's for me? And they came forward. They killed a lot of their brethren and their neighbors for worshiping, and they were set apart because of that. And now they are in charge of ministering in the tabernacle, the sacrificial system, the offering system, the handling of the tithes in the storehouse. So you had the tithe, which was a 10% of an agrarian society, and every time someone would pass it, you have a tenth every year annually. And we're going to look at that, the purpose of the Old Testament tithe. Why did they have the tithe in the Old Testament? There are three Ps, three Ps that you can remember now. Why they had the tithe, the tenth in the Old Testament. Priests, parties, and poor. Those are the three Ps of why they had the tithe in the Old Testament. For the priests, the Levites, the parties, the feasts, and the poor, the sojourners, the widows, the orphans. 
That's why the tithe was instituted by God according to the Bible. Are you following me? Okay. The priests. It was a Levitical sacred tithe found in Numbers 18. The tithe of the feasts was in Deuteronomy 14, and the tithe of the poor was Deuteronomy 14. For sake of time, we're going to go straight to Deuteronomy 14 because it's going to hit all three purposes of the tithe. Now, I can tell you, I could spend another hour or two talking about the details, about the fifth and the silver and the 20% if you're traveling and the different feasts and all that, but we don't need to. We're getting to the 3,000-foot view of the purpose of the tithe. Deuteronomy 14, verses 22 through 29, give you the three reasons why God instituted the tenth, the tithe system in the Old Testament. You shall tithe all the yield of your seed that comes from the field year by year, and before the Lord your God in that place he will choose to make his name dwell there. Listen to this. You shall eat the tithe of your grain, of your wine, of your oil, and the firstborn of your herd and flock. For what reason? That you may learn to fear the Lord your God always. The first purpose of the tithe, of the festivals, of the feasts, was to have a big party for them to recognize that God provided everything. Rain, God. Food, God. Seeds, God. Soil, God. Everything came from God. And every year, they would take a tenth of that to have this big celebration. Why are you guys celebrating? Because of God. Look what He gave us. Like, look what He gave my family. Look what He gave my tribe. That's why they would get together. Was to honor and revere God. That was the first purpose of the tithe. Then it goes on. And if the way is too long for you so that you are not able to carry the tithe when your Lord your God blesses you, again, when your Lord your God blesses you, because the place is too far, which the Lord your God chooses to set His name there. Okay, this is what's going on. I live in Montrose. God set up the tabernacle in Loma. I'm not going to take, I had a really great year, and I cannot take all of my food from Montrose and take it all the way to Loma for these festivals. So what do I do? I go back in Montrose where I'm at, and I sell all my stuff. And then I take that money, and I go to Loma, and I add a fifth to the value of that, is what it says in, in one of the passages I read. It adds a fifth to it. And then I buy whatever I please, and that's where I have my festival, where God appoints the tabernacle, where he appoints the feast. So again, what is the tithe? Hint, you can eat it. It's food. The tithe is food. It wasn't silver. It wasn't gold. It wasn't money. It was food. So it continues on. Uh, verse 26, And spend the money for whatever you desire, oxen or sheep or wine or strong drink, whatever your appetite craves, and you shall eat there before the Lord your God and rejoice, you and your household. And then he goes on to the next reason. And you shall not neglect the Levite who is within your towns, for he has no portion or inheritance with you. The Levites were not given a portion of land to grow their own crops, to raise their own stock, their wildlife. They couldn't, they, or the, their stock animals. They couldn't have the land because their portion was God's service and ministry in the temple. So he says, don't forget them. And then that's the second tithe. So you had the parties, then you had the Levitical priesthood tithe. 
Are we up to 10% or now, or what are we at? 20%. We're at 20%. And then it says, at the end of every three years, you shall bring out all the tithe of your produce in the same year, every three years, and lay it up within your towns. And the Levite, because he has no portion or inheritance, and the sojourner, the fatherless, the widow, who are within your towns, shall come and eat and be filled, that the Lord your God may bless you in all the work of your hands that you do. That is the tithe. You had 10% for the festivals so that you could eat and enjoy and revere God for what he's given you. You had 10% given to the priesthood because they didn't have an inheritance. And you had 10% every three years, which would make it 3.3% a year for you math people. And that would be given for the poor, for the sojourners, for the widows, and for the orphans. Is that making sense? This is all Israelite, Old Testament, 23.3% averaged out was given every year to God's people for use to glorify Him, to take care of the priests, and to help those that were in need. Now, I said earlier the differences of the tithe and the offering. There are five offerings mentioned in the Old Testament, but a lot of little sub-offerings. But the five main offerings, which you can read about, I think it's in Leviticus 1. Maybe it's in Numbers 1. No, I think it's Leviticus 1. Hold on one sec. Not like you're going to go anywhere, but... Well, you might. It is. Okay, so Leviticus 1 has five main offerings. You have the, um, the burnt offering, and we're not going to go into detail what they're for, but you have the burnt offering. Well, we might go into a little detail, but the burnt offering was... Um, Basically, general atonement of sin and expression of devotion to God. You had the grain offering, and the purpose of the grain offering was a voluntary offering to God that shows devotion. You had the peace offering, and this was discussed in their subtitles of the peace offering. There's the free will, the thanksgiving, the wave, and this offering could be a lot of different things, sheep, cattle, goats, uh, male or female, it didn't matter. And the purpose was to consecrate a meal between two people, sometimes the people of Israel and God. That's the peace offering also known as the fellowship offering. And then you have the sin offering, and this offering is an offering to atone for things like unintentional sin. Like I sinned and I didn't know it, and I have to have an unintentional, or a sin offering. So you'd go up to the priest and he's like, what's this for? Well, I don't know what I did, but I know I did something. So here's a sin offering to make me right with God for a little while. They would give the sin offering. And then you have the guilt offering, and that was to make up reparations for one's sin. Like intentional you screwed up, you messed up, you knew what you were doing, and this had an offering that you gave to God for an atonement. But it was not for forgiveness. This is very important, guys. Offerings, everything is physical in the Old Testament, is spiritual in the New Testament. So when you have these offerings that are given, and you point to it, this is God saying, look in the future. Or in the New Testament, he's saying, look in the past. Why did I have all of these offerings? And Hebrews talks about these offerings of blood of bulls and goats. All they were was an annual reminder of sins. Every year, the people would go, I'm a sinner. We're sinners. And every year, they would have to sacrifice animals in order to have an annual reminder. And they would have, uh, what do you call that? Not an annulment, but uh, 
I forget the word, sorry. I'll point to you guys later if you can think of it. But it was just an annual reminder of sin. It wasn't for forgiveness. I just said it a minute ago. So anyway, so you have the tithe and the offering. We're going to talk about the almsgiving next week. But the tithe and the offering are different. I told you earlier I have this interest in Googling churches. I love Googling who's leading it, what do they teach, what's their story, and some of them are like, what an awesome story. And others, I'm oh, okay. Uh, not an awesome story, but good for him. He's doing what he's doing. But I, I look at, the, I look at the, uh, the giving section of it, and like I mentioned to you earlier, the, the, the verse that usually gets thrown out there more than anything is Malachi chapter 3. That is the verse that's used in many, many, many churches, Protestant churches, that are saying, yes, you should give your tithe, your tenth. Begs the question, do I give on the gross? Do I give on the net? I pay taxes. Do I give after taxes? All these questions arise from that. God deals with it in the New Testament. We'll figure it out next week. But the passage that's used on these websites the majority of the time is Malachi 3. Go with me again to Malachi 3. He says, bring the full tithe into the storehouse. What was the storehouse used for? Was it for the festivals? Was it for the parties? The Feast of Tabernacles? I think that they used that right when they brought it. So what was the storehouse used for? The Levitical priesthood and the poor and the widows, and the orphans, and the sojourners. They had a storehouse that they could come in. It was like uh, Clifton Christian Church has a food pantry. That's like a storehouse, right? They're coming through like, hey, we don't have food. Here you go. So he says, bring the whole tithe, the full tithe, the full 10% into the storehouse that there may be food in my house, and therefore put me to the uh, test, says the Lord of hosts, if I will not open the windows of heaven and pour down for you a blessing until there is no more need. This is the verse that's used in Christian churches to explain to the members of that church, every check you get, you need to write 10% of that and put it in the offering box. You see why I don't preach on this very often? I get a little worked up sometimes, but these are the questions that come to my head when I read that. These are the questions that come to my brain that I have to do business with. Um, should I tithe on my income? These are questions I've had to deal with as a Christian man leading my family. Should I tithe on my income? Should I give a tenth on my income? Am I disobeying God if I do not give a tenth off my paycheck? Am I commanded in the Bible as a Christian to tithe and give offerings? What is a tithe in the Old Testament? Food. It's easy. It's food. Food and drink. That's the tithe. Should I, am I commanded in the Bible as a Christian to give a tithe and to give offerings, sin offerings, peace offerings, goodwill offerings? Does Jesus and the New Testament writers do Jesus and the New Testament writers even address the issue of tithing, offering, and giving in the New Testament? These are questions I had to ask and answer. Is it an Old Testament con concept that was nailed to the cross along with um, the other festivals? You look at Colossians chapter 2. 
This is the only verse that I'll quote as I'm asking the questions because we're going to deal with it next week. But in Colossians chapter 2, it says this. And you, you were dead in your trespasses and in the uncircumcision of your flesh. God made you alive together with him, having forgiven us all our trespasses by canceling the record of debt that stood against us with its legal demands. This he set aside, nailing it to the cross. He set aside the legal demands when he died on the cross for me. Is a tithe, according to the Old Testament, a legal demand? Those are questions that I had to ask myself. Um, Did the tithes and offerings mentioned in Malachi 3 transfer to the New Testament teaching from Jesus and the apostles? Meaning, the Malachi 3 passage, give us, bring us your whole tithes and offerings into the storehouse and see whether or not I will not bless you. Did the tithes and offerings in the Old Testament, which was food, grain, sheep, goats, all that stuff, did that transfer, did the storehouse now become the church brick and mortar, and did the tithe and offering go from food to money? Those are all questions that we have to ask ourselves before we get into the New Testament so we can answer them. What is God really saying about giving? What is God really saying about tithes? What is he saying about offerings? Does the Old Testament tithes and offerings switch to tithes for the purpose of preachers and churches and buildings? Guys, I have studied this one subject for 20 years, among other subjects, obviously. But this one subject, because I hear it quoted so often that I feel is not in line and not juxtaposed to what the Bible actually teaches about giving. And it, it bothers me. I'm not condemning anybody that teaches different than I believe or believes different than I believe. I would just challenge their understanding of Scripture. I would not condemn them, but I would say, let's be completely honest with Scripture, with the Bible. Let's swallow our pride. Let's put it away. Let's put it in the pantry, and let's go to the Word of God and ask basic questions. What is an offering? There's five of them. What is a tithe? There's three of them. What do they represent? The priesthood, the sojourner, and God's provision in the festivals. Okay, does the New Testament tell you to continue to do that? You've got to ask yourself, because if you are listening to a preacher or a teacher or a bishop or a priest, it doesn't matter, and they're saying, God tells you to give 10% of your income. My question would be, where? Hank Williams Jr., I quoted this the other day. I'm not advocating that you listen to his songs, but there's one song that he said, he sings. He says, there are some preachers on TV with a coat and a tie and a vest. They want you to give your money to the Lord, but they give you their address. Not advocating Hank Jr. He, he kind of went off the deep end. But it's a true statement. And so I think it's important if we're listening to people teach and preach that it's accurate according to the Word of God. Now, for next week, little teaser before we get going. I'm going to turn the fans on. It's getting warm up here. The New Testament talks about tithe twice. Jesus deals with it in Matthew 23. Um, there it is. Jesus deals in Matthew 23 with it when he says... Um, Woe to you, teachers of the law. You gave a tenth of your mint, dill, and cumin, but neglect the weightier matters of the law. 
He deals with it once there, and he talks about the tithe in Hebrews, about tithes and offerings. Melchizedek, which is going to be interesting for next week, Melchizedek is mentioned three times in the Bible. He's mentioned in Genesis 14, he's mentioned in the Psalms, and he's mentioned in Hebrews. Melchizedek is the high priest. His name means king of Salem, Jerusalem, king of Salem, king of righteousness. A lot of parallels between Melchizedek and Jesus. Abram, a man of faith, before law, gave a tenth of everything to Melchizedek, who is the high priest. I find that interesting. I'm not making a statement. I'm not going to tell you what I believe until next week. I'll share with you exactly what I think the New Testament teaches. But I hope you come back. And uh, if you don't agree, don't ever come back. No, I'm just kidding. If you don't agree, let's talk about it. Let's look at the word and go, well, why don't, why don't you agree? What, what is there different that, what do, you, what do you see different that I'm not seeing? Because I just want to be right with him, uh, not right with me. So God bless you guys. I don't know if I know how to turn that on, but who has communion this morning? Dennis? All right. Oh, uh, we're, we're having a barbecue at uh, the Bray's house today, around 2 o'clock or so. Does everybody, if you need their, huh? Pool party. So stand up, Brian and Brooke, real quick, please. If you don't know Brian and Brooke, ask them after church what their address is if you didn't get the email so you can come hang out with us.